Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. Thank you for all your support. We are trending on Apple's uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts because of you. We're ranked in the top 100 in mental health. I cannot believe that. I mean, it just blows my mind. And it's because of all your support, and it's because of these amazing guests that I bring on who have stories. We all have a story. And uh, today's going to be no different. Um, we're joined by Keith Morey. Keith, thank you for being Hello. here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you guys are going to love this guy. You're going to love his story. Um, but before we get there, I want to just uh, first give a shout out to our sponsors, Wasatch Recovery, Siegfried & Jensen, Thread Wallets. The music you heard at the beginning and at the end of this uh, is by my good friend, uh, award-winning pianist, Par- Paul Cardall. He's uh, an amazing human being, and he's got 25 active million listeners every month uh, for all that he's doing. And so I'm grateful that he allowed me to use his music. So thanks, thanks to him, and and uh, again, um, thank you for tuning in once again. So again, like I said, we have Keith with us today. Uh, he currently works as the assistant director of development services and the city economics development director in Provo for Provo City. Uh, he drove a, a long way to get here, so I really do appreciate all no, that. You bet. Of course, um, and he's got an amazing story. You know, he's um, he's known in the recovery community by a lot of people. He was uh, referred to me by a mutual friend of ours, Christian Smith, who we both uh, look up to and Love admire for what he's been through. Yeah. And so, um, Keith, uh, why don't we just start with tell us tell our listeners where you grew up and maybe a little about your childhood. Okay. Yeah, so my father was an FBI agent, so we moved oh, wow. around the country quite a bit. Um, I was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then we lived in okay. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Wow. And then um, his first station as an FBI agent was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, spent a little bit of time there a year or two. Okay. And then uh, he got transferred to Oklahoma City. Okay. And, Did you uh, think that was cool? My dad's an FBI agent. Yeah, it kind was of really thing? fun to say. Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially when you're in first, second grade or whatever, and you're telling kids, "My dad's an FBI agent." You know, all the kids think you're way cool. They're like, "What?" I thought that was awesome until one of them said, "Oh, he's a female body inspector," and then I was devastated <laughs> that they would take that they would slander. Kids they would that. slander the name of an FBI agent that way. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I didn't know what kids. to do with that. Yeah, I remember that uh, back in the day. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it was kind of fun, and it was yeah. he was easy to look up to, and I was sure. proud of him and what he did, and yeah. he was kind of the. Of course, the provider of our family, but he was also the spiritual leader of our family too, because he was, oh, he always had church callings, um, whether okay. it was in the bishopric or sure. in the state presidency. So we l- moved to a little town just south of Oklahoma City called Lawton, and uh, that's kind of where I grew up. I grew up and graduated from high school there. Okay, took did my first year of college there at Cameron University in Lawton, Oklahoma, and wow, then went on my mission to Sacramento, California. Okay, and while I was on my mission, Dad moved back to uh, work at FBI headquarters in D.C., so I came home off my mission to Virginia. Okay. And uh, worked odd jobs, drove 18-wheelers, moving furniture all over Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. to make some money and came out to school to go to school at BYU. Okay. Right on. Did you, um, like, I mean, 
I talked to Christian a lot about you before you got here and, and throughout the last couple of weeks, even when he shared your story with me and I was like, man, I want, I want to get this guy on. Oh, that's awesome. And he, I mean, he talks about the confidence and, and just how you, you know, the way you carry yourself. Have you always been that kind of guy, even when you were younger, like kind of a confident, you know, sure of yourself or no, was actually, something I grew you up a with? dork. <laughs> I mean, I, I really was. I mean, I was, I was always that, yeah. uh, scrawny kid in school that, uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I don't know, I was always trying to find a way to fit in or to be accepted. Um, I can remember kind of being on the outside and something happened my junior year. I, I, uh, I had decided that the little country school that I went to, um, I, I think there was less than 100 people in my in my class at the time when my junior year wasn't going to get me anywhere. And so mm-hmm. I transferred into the main high school in town, um, okay. the big high school, because I thought that would be better to prepare me for college or whatever yeah. was coming ahead. And I, I can remember mentally making the decision that I, things were going to change, that I was going to be one of the most popular kids at school. And not that being popular is important, but just that I was going to find yeah. a way to break through this being on the outside and I was going to be on the inside. And I don't think anything special happened. It's not like I became super good looking or became <laughs> a jock football player. Yeah. It just mentally something yeah. switched in me. And I just, I fell in with a great group of people who were kind of active in a lot of things. And um, it was a great year. And I think it was just a mental change in me that kind of facilitated, I don't know, a, a difference in who I am and how I am. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So you, you find yourself at BYU. You graduate from BYU. I did. I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, so I got my undergraduate degree in English literature, Okay, which was kind of wonderful because all wow. my friends took home stats problems or <laughs> math problems, yeah. and I took a book home and read a book for the weekend yeah. and wrote a report. It was You're probably, like, I like this. It was wonderful. Yeah. I really loved it. And while I was doing that, um, my wife at the time um, was the secretary for the, um, the director of the public administration program, the master's program at oh, BYU. Okay. And I, so I met all those guys, and they were talking about how noble and rewarding public service was. And I just thought, well, that's kind of who I am. I, yeah. I mean, something happened to me when I was in high school. I read Catcher in the Rye, uh-huh. J.D. Salinger's book. Yeah, I know of it. I haven't read it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. and um, this concept of being somebody, Holden Caulfield is, has this dream of being in a rye field where he's the only one tall enough to see over the rye. And all these kids oh, okay. are playing in the rye. And they don't realize that they're next to a cliff. And so he's the only one that can protect them Hmm. from plunging off the cliff. And that resonated with, I always wanted to be that guy, the guy that somehow could protect or help or or do something for everybody else. So getting a a degree in public administration and going out and serving people in my community just really aligned with what I wanted to be and who I wanted to be. Well, you look like a protector, to be honest with you. Yeah, and that's definitely a compliment, man. You look like the guy that, hey, I want this guy on my team, you know, for sure. So, well, you know, I I know there's a lot to, you know, your your life and your story, but I, you know, I want to get into, you know, you got caught up in addiction and and lost your way, right, as a, a simple way of saying it. But let's talk about that. And if you don't mind kind of sharing, like, how did that start and and what that led to? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I kind of grew up with um, the God of the Old Testament, mm. right? Fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone, and, yeah. uh, You know, you touch the Ark of the Covenant when you haven't been chosen, and you get burned. You know, mm. it's over, right? Mm. Um, yeah. One strike and you're out kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you're done. And, and uh, I, I guess I just began to keep track of my mistakes, and um, <clears throat> 
figured if I was keeping track, I knew he was too. Mm. And um, so when your balance sheet starts to get kind of out of whack <laughs> yeah, right. in, in that yeah. regard, you start to make more deposits to compensate. Um, so when I wasn't getting answers to prayers, I figured it was because, um, you know, God was upset. And so I needed to read the scriptures more. So I'm reading it one, reading them once a day. Uh, I need to read them in the morning and in the night. Oh, um, yeah. uh, or I'm going to the temple once a month. Maybe I should go once a week. Or I watch General Conference, but maybe I need to read it too. Maybe I need to listen to it every day on my work. And, and so I kind of went down that path yeah. of how can I overcompensate yeah. for this perception that God was mad at me or that he was yeah. upset. And that's just Dang. unsustainable. Uh, for sure. I mean, eventually no matter what you do or how hard you're trying, that doesn't, that doesn't change the dynamic um, because your perception was wrong to begin with. And eventually I just had, I, I became convinced when my life kind of started to unravel and went through a divorce that um, it was because God had given up on me. Oh, man. And uh, I finally said, you know, if that's the case, then screw you. You know, if that's the case, then I could do this on my own. You don't yeah. need me. I don't need you either. Wow. And I just started to decide to take the hard road and I'll figure this out. Yeah, I think so. that's pretty common, Keith, uh, especially where we live, right? Where it's almost like if if I do enough, then I might be yeah. enough in God's eyes, yeah. right? That's what it sounds yeah. like. I can relate because I'm a lot like you in the sense of I'm all or nothing. Yeah. Like, okay, if I'm in, watch me. Yeah. You know, and I was that guy too. Like, well, if the temple's good once a month, maybe once, once a, week's a week's even better. Hey, you know what? I went twice. This, yeah. This this month. And this and week. and I, I don't want to make it about me, but I I remember no, I, I would go to the temple once a week. And I did that for, I mean, a couple of years. And I remember being so burned out. It, it wasn't that I thought the temple was bad, but in my mind, I'm like, I cannot walk through that door again. I'm burned out. I cannot do it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I can't keep up. And again, thinking that that's what God wanted me to do. So I can, no, I, I, guess I, I can just I, relate. I think, I think it's a problem in our culture. Yeah. Frankly. Um, and and I'll, I had a really interesting experience <clears throat> that I'd like to share with you about. Yeah, it. please. There, there was, I was living in Daybreak and there was a, a family in our ward that was, for, from the out, outside perspective, completely buttoned up. Yeah. You know, all their kids were perfect, little <laughs> blue-eyed, blonde-haired, perfect yeah. kids. Yeah. There were kids in primary that had all the right answers, said everything right. You know, uh, she had the, the mom had the, I think she was relief site president. He was this or that. And they just seemed like they had it all together. And at yeah. one point I had been asked to give a talk about my experiences. And so I was a little bit vulnerable about it. And as she walked by my house later that day, she commented mm. how much she appreciated it. And mm. I just, I think I said, well, you know, thank you very much, but you, know, you guys right. have got it all figured out. So yeah, I'm, right. I, <laughs> yeah. I, Who am I? And she stopped short and she said, but we don't. Mm. And she said, and that's a problem because, and she wasn't suggesting that there was something hugely right. wrong in their family. Right. right. But she said, everybody thinks we do. <clears throat> and she said, um, have you ever heard of scrupulosity? And I'm like, well, no, I haven't. What are you talking about? She said, yeah, it's this, it's this overcompensation when you yeah. think that you're not good enough and you have to go overboard to try to become right. good. And she said, you know, we have our own stuff just like everybody else does, but this perception within our culture that we have it all figured out is so oppressive. I think we're going to have to leave Utah and go live somewhere else so wow. that we can find peace and find a way to manage through this. And they did. Dude, and, they really um, and I mean, they're an incredible family. Sure. I think oh, they're yeah. incredible people and I'm yeah. sure that they're, they're fine. And I, it's, maybe that's just their journey. But I think the fact that we overcompensate and we think that that's what, mm -hmm. how this system works creates yeah. that paradigm that it's just not sustainable or livable. You can't for survive sure. it. Yeah, for sure. And scrupulosity is a form of OCD. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, 
and it's very common, you know, not only on the individual level, but a family can get caught up in it and that kind of thing. And we've got to show that, man, here's where we're at and that kind of thing. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's uh, uh, definitely a problem that, uh, and it shouldn't be that way. But again, we do get caught up in that. Well, it's fascinating to me because, I mean, I go way back to Adam and Eve, and I think the thing that we don't understand is Adam and Eve came here to screw up. Right. Uh, I mean, and that's just, we don't, and maybe we don't talk about that because we, uh, you can't create a culture of people that think it's okay to screw up. Right. I mean, you're trying to create a culture of people yeah. that want to be obedient, and I, I understand that, but that that's a difficult um, very tenuous path to walk. Um, yeah. and the real message for me after coming through my experience is that, you know, Adam and Eve didn't go and confess something that God didn't already know. You know, the first thing Satan yeah. wanted them to do was hide yeah. and try to pretend like God didn't already know yeah. when what God really wanted was for them just to say, Hey, listen, you know what? I knew you were going to do it. Yeah. It, it's, it's okay. I've got it all figured out. <laughs> Matter of fact, I've got a savior. I've got an atonement all, all set up to take care of this. I just needed you to be vulnerable and honest yeah. and tell me that you had done it so that we could talk about what was next and mm. how to move forward. Yeah. Um, but instead we shame ourselves and shame others wow. and try to hide and lie and deceive. And that just does not cut it. Doesn't cut it. Wow. You're, you're spot on with that. So, Obviously, you're going through this. You're struggling with that, and you're like, "Okay, God, if 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 you're not there for me, yeah. I'm not going to be there for you." Pick up from there, and then what that led to. Yeah, so I met I met someone that didn't have a problem drinking, and um, you know, I I had kind of gone off the rails. I think I was trying to find a way to cope with some of my own guilt, and so you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm already going to hell. What what's the difference? What's so the difference I started there? having a drink or two now and then, and um, and then I got prostate cancer. Oh, wow. And uh, so then it just became a way to cope, right? It's like, I don't yeah. know how to deal with this. I yeah, don't know what wow. to do. Um, you know, my family had kind of, uh, wasn't really supportive because I was I was kind of on the outside now, right? And they didn't, I don't think they really knew what to do with me. Um, so I really didn't have anybody to turn to or anybody to talk to or whatever. And alcohol was a good friend. I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's like they say in recovery, I mean, alcohol really works until it doesn't. Exactly. And, and yeah. it did. I mean, it, yeah. it, it helped, um, it did what it needed to. Yeah. Numb some pain and some feelings and, and managed through it. But that's a really, a, a really slippery slope. Oh, for and, sure. uh, yeah. and so it, 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 I guess it progressed into not just, um, coping with, um, cancer. It, progressed to coping with anything right i mean yeah. i had a bad day i i need a drink to cope yeah, i have wow. this bad experience i better have a drink to cope with that too and that's just a really big downward downward sp spiral so yeah had you had people in your life notice this too were they like reaching out to you saying hey keith do something's up what's wrong or what's going on or did you try no to i was pretty it? good at pretty I was pretty it? good at hiding it i mean yeah. i think there were i mean i think people knew that i drank Right. Um, of, of course. And I don't know, as an alcoholic, your perception that you're hiding it really well is, is uh, I, who knows? I mean, I, I, I haven't had anybody come up to me and say, yeah, you weren't hiding it like you think you were. Right. So maybe <laughs> maybe everybody knew I was yeah. worse off than, than maybe I didn't hide it at all. But, uh, you know, it progressed to the point that, um, you know, I was drinking at work because eventually, you know, the alcoholism is... Uh, so addictive that I'm drinking all the time and you have to, you have to drink or you're, you can't survive. You know, you've, yeah. you've got the shakes. If you don't, yeah. you can't do whatever. So, you know, I got to the point where I'm drinking at work and one morning I didn't have anything to drink at work, but I had a bottle and a half of Listerine. Oh man. Um, and so I put down a half a bottle of Listerine 
And wow. um, and I was there early. You know, I was there before anybody else was at work. And um, I'm sitting there um, ball, bawling. And I'm looking at this bottle of Listerine. And I'm going, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And I just, I, I couldn't stop. So I I put down the other bottle of Listerine. And, um, and then I ran. And um, I went to the liquor store. And I got a couple of bottles of Everclear and a bottle of vodka. And I just wanted to drive. And I hoped that God would be merciful enough that he would let me die without hurting really? somebody else. Wow. That he would, um, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm praying the whole time. I'm, I decided I'm going to drive to Wyoming to my mom's gravesite um, in Wheatland, Wyoming. And um, I hope, uh, because you know, mom's dead, and I, I don't know, but that maybe there's some comfort there. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm just hoping that God, without hurting anybody else, would take me. So I'm, I'm driving, I'm drinking, and I'm praying to God, keep me safe, but just take me. Yeah. Uh, uh, not keep me safe, keep other people safe. Yeah, um, right. But, ju- but just take me. I'm take willing me to now. admit I completely screwed this up. Um, I don't care what the consequences are. I'm willing to admit I, I failed the test. I completely blew it. Um, let it be over. Please just end it and let it be over. Wow. And... Uh, yeah, that was... So you're obviously was, hurting so bad yeah. to the point you don't even want to exist. Yeah, yeah. Man, so you so you go, you run, you drive up to Wyoming. Yeah. Did you make it to the, to the gravesite? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, uh, I, I was gone for about three and a half, four days. Um, and I was... Uh, yeah, I had turned my phone off so you, um, people couldn't track me. Um, at some point, I... Uh, I had turned my phone back on, um, Mm -hmm. and uh, my wife had called. And by that time, well, I I finally got to, like, Laramie and um, checked myself into a hotel because I was just – I'd been sleeping in my car uh, because I didn't want the alarms to go off using my credit card. I finally used my credit card and uh, checked in and turned my phone on, and my wife called me, and she said, I I know where you are, and Mm -hmm. we're on our way. Just don't go anywhere and be safe. It's going to be okay. Wow. And by that point, I had just completely bottomed out. I mean, I was physically and emotionally exhausted, and yeah. I just was ready to surrender and give up. And I just said, "I please come get me, come save me. I'll do anything. Wow. I'll, I won't go anywhere." So. Was this? Did, is is this where the missing persons? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Went out. Yeah. It was. That, yeah. It was during that time. Yeah. yeah. So they had a missing persons report out uh, saying, "Hey, this guy's missing." Yeah. Yeah. Has anyone seen this guy? Yeah. So again, obviously, family, friends, and people you know are concerned. They're scared. Yeah, it's painful. I've saved a lot of them. I I've saved a lot of the messages that are on my phone from I, people, and I, I, I mean, imagine. I I've saved them because I, I I don't want to erase them, but they're really it's painful to listen to I can just imagine. because I, to to remind yourself of the guilt, of the pain you cause to other people. Yeah, I guess is is hard. Well, I, I would imagine too, Keith, and I want to put words in your mouth, but do, does it also make also remind you? How many people cared about you? No, yeah. Uh, exa- l- listen, here's here's what I said. Um, so when my sister and my wife finally showed up, um, they got me on the phone with we knew, we. Uh, my sister and I had known Alema Harrington in in college at BYU, and she oh, okay. kept in contact with Alema, and yeah. she yeah. had his phone number, and so she got a hold of Alema and said, "My brother's in trouble. We need your help." And uh, so she got. Alema and Christian on the phone, and all of a sudden, for the first time, I talked to two men who'd been through what I'd yeah. been through and survived, yeah. and were successful, and 
Chris, I can remember Christian said, dude, it's, it's okay. It's going to be all right. There's a way out of this and we've got you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And, uh, for the first time, and I don't even know how long years I felt like there was hope wow. and like it was going to be okay. And, and I've said this before, as, as people have asked me to talk, talk about it. It was like up in heaven, someone's when, when all this was going down and I was gone, it wasn't just that the missing persons report went out here in Utah. Yeah. It's like a, a flare went off in heaven and someone yeah. shot off and said, Keith's in trouble. Wow. Everybody get moving because yeah. the number of people that just automatically showed up in yeah. our lives that could be helpful. I mean, yeah. we didn't know it at the time, but a, a guy that was a member of the secret service lived right across the street. So when my wife was talking to the bishop trying to get help, he connected him, her with him because mm. he was in the he was in the bishopric as well. Okay, and they were over in at the house in the middle of the night in their pajamas. Well, this guy from the Secret Service is <laughs> is helping my wife wow. get security camera footage of me getting gas at these gas stations and doing this and doing Jeez. that, and just people like that yeah. randomly showed up that all of a sudden were there to help. And I think it it, it really helped me recognize how valuable we are each and every one of us in every way that God is willing to send out the troops to find us um, and to help us get home. Here's, you know, I I love the story in the Book of Mormon about um, Nephi and Lehi in the Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. One of my big problems with that, though, coming through this, though, is no one talks about what happens to those people that got lost in the midst of darkness. Yeah. But they get found. And and they get found, taught by people like you and people like me that have been lost, too, that know where to look yeah, and know how to wander just a little bit far enough into the mist to grab a hand and tell someone, I got you. I, I got know you. how, I know how to get out. Here's the way it's going to be. All right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing that Christian and Alema were there for you at that, at that particular moment. Yeah. So what did you, what, what happened then? Because you're still struggling. I mean, yeah. you hear these words, it's at least some hope in your life. What, what, what do you do from there? Well, it was kind of weird because Christian got me on the. I mean, I I knew I needed to go into recovery at that point, and and I had I had completely bottomed out, um, so I would have done anything. Um, yeah. So that sounds really scary to someone that's never been there, and, and I I'd never been there. I'd never done anything like that. I'd never had a problem with drugs. Never didn't know anything about recovery or anything like that. Um, but when you finally bottom out and you're totally willing to surrender it's not scary anymore um, because you'll you'll just be you'll just do anything yeah but he put me on the phone with one of the doctors and the doctor said well if you were here i'd prescribe something from you but i can't because you're in another state and you're so far away do you have any alcohol with you and i said well yeah i've still got a a bottle of of vodka and he said well have your family help you self-medicate and just sip because if you stop right now you're probably going to die yeah um and uh that it was just such an odd experience to have a doctor telling me you're so bad off that you can't just stop so keep drinking a little bit um and wean yourself off so um i did that um spent a couple of days at home that were horrible um trying to come off of alcohol yeah and then the next monday i checked myself into uh renaissance ranch wow and uh well, I want to talk about that experience, yeah. but yeah. I want to, for our listeners who may not know, they might be thinking, why would they tell you to keep drinking, right? And if I understand correctly from my experience and the things that I've learned, when someone quits cold turkey who's been drinking as heavily as you have been, 
your risk for stroke goes up like 65%. Oh, yeah. yeah. You could have a seizure. That's what he said. I mean, it goes on yeah, and on exactly. and on, right? So th- for those who are going, that makes no sense why a doctor would tell you keep drinking. Well, it's but really that's funny. why. Be- yeah, because most people don't. It's it's interesting, you know, when you stand on the outside, you watch an alcoholic, and you say, what an idiot. Why doesn't he just stop? <laughs> right. it, it's yeah. An alcoholic gets to the point where it's it's no longer a matter of whether I do or don't want to drink. Right. Your body has become so dependent that you don't have a choice. You have to. You know, you you are a slave now. You are um, a slave. D- yep. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. You are there. I mean, it's it's the it's the great lie that Satan tells us all. Right. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and do this. You can be yeah. free. You can, you can yeah. be free of all the rules and regulations. You don't yeah. have to be obligated to anybody. And while you're being free, yeah. so to speak, <laughs> right. um, he yeah. catches you and enslaves you and chains you up to that stuff. Well, so you go to Renaissance Ranch, you go into treatment. Um, just give us a little, you know, how that went and what you learned there about you and about what you were going through. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like I said, I, um, I, uh, I had gotten to a point where I would have done anything. And um, I've, I've told people since then, if, if they had told me, okay, to, to get better, you're going to need to stand on the, on this coffee table in the middle of the room and dance around on the table and wave a Kleenex over your head, I, I would have done it because I just didn't care. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I, whatever it At was going to take. At this point, I'll do whatever. Yeah, and so yeah, within, wow. a, within a week <laughs> or two, I was in one of the sessions, and you know, I, I, I was praying desperately every day, um, help me find a way out of this, help me get better, help me figure yeah. out what's wrong. And I can remember the day I was in one of the sessions, and it wasn't that something got said in the session, but I felt a, a, a switch flip in my head, mm. and I felt yeah. it taken away. Wow. And, and it's interesting. I, you know, I'm not yeah. a big AA person, but the the Alcoholics Anonymous book talks about yeah. for those who truly surrender, surrender, um, the, your addiction can be taken away, and it yeah. will be taken away. Yeah. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, they'll actually say it says in the big book we we were recovered. Yeah. Yeah, it's over. Exactly. Yeah, I love that because and, and, I. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why I've had a really hard time because there are people that that um, tell you that that's sketchy conversation to say you're recovered. Yeah. You know, if you start talking yeah. like that around some people, they'll say, "Ooh, boy, you're yeah. really, really close to relapsing, brother." Dude, don't, totally. don't, don't, don't. It's talk almost like, like a four-letter word in recovery. Yeah. You can't say that. Exactly. And yeah. I and I I I think I'm honest with myself enough to say, of course, anything could happen again. But I know I'm recovered. I know I'm over it. That's yeah. not who I am anymore. Yeah. It was an experience, but I am not an alcoholic. I, I had a, an experience being one, um, and I, I learned some incredible lessons, but I am not one today, yeah. and I will never be one again. Wow, I love that. It's beautiful. So how long did you end up staying at uh, Renaissance Ranch? Um, the, Do you remember? Yeah, well, 90 days. You know, 90 days, yeah, yeah, the 90-day thing. Yeah. And so you had this you had this switch go on, which I yeah. c- can relate because I had the same thing. Did you? Yep, I just knew. No, it was one of these moments where I'm like, I'm done. Yeah, same. And it's hard to explain it to someone because they think, well, are you really right? Exactly. And, and I get why people don't sure. trust that sure. and all that fun, you know. But I knew uh, Keith. I just knew it, and that's when I, you know, went on a where I am today. Even so, what did, what did you decide to do with your life at that point when you knew? Okay, I'm done with putting poison in my body. Yeah. Did you what 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 was the shift and where did it take? Well, you it's from interesting. There? I told all the guys that were in house with with me at the time. I said uh, we're done. I said um, there is. <laughs> I, like we, that. I said we can be the first group that a hundred percent of us never relapse. Yeah. And that never has a problem again. That's who we're. That's who we're going to be. And and I was. I, I, I guess I was naive because I didn't realize that just because it was true for me. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that it was true for everyone else. Right. And, sure. Uh, 
and th- there were there are some guys that were in house with me um, that are dead now that aren't alive anymore mm. um, who didn't yeah. make it didn't make and it, yeah. um, and and to me that's just a, a clear sign that uh, you've got to do the work um, to let that switch be flipped yeah. so that you can be cured and and. I, I would never ever try to judge someone else for their recovery. I mean, every, everybody's sure. got to do what they've got to do. Yeah. Um, but for someone that's still going to AA meetings because they're afraid they're going to relapse, to me, what that says is there's something that that's still going on inside you that you haven't dealt with. Exactly. And if you can fix that, yes, you will be cured. Couldn't agree more. And so stop yeah. and figure that out and let that flip get switched. Cause then, yeah. you know, you will be recovered. Yeah. I love that Keith. Um, you know, I'll tell my clients, I have no problem with you saying I'm done if you're putting in the work. Yeah, exactly. It's when we say we're done and we're, we're not doing the work. And you're playing the game. We're playing the, the We're system. playing some game. Yeah. You're in trouble. Yeah, no, we, exactly. And we understand that, so yeah. I'm glad you put that And I think that that's out. the difficult side for yeah. people that are trying to manage a recovery process is yeah. being able to really discern whose switch got flipped and yeah. who's just playing a game. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how you ever know that it's, it's so individual. Sure. It really comes down to whether the, the person you're dealing with is, yeah. is honest or not. Yeah. So now, you know, you, you're looking back in your life and going through all of this and kind of that challenge and even, even the struggle with trying to please God every single day and going overboard with all that. What are, what were some of the bigger, I mean, this is a big question I know, but what were some of the biggest lessons you've learned through this process of what you've been through? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I mentioned or, or alluded early to, um, really the, the reality that our, how much Heavenly Father loves us, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. how unique and individual and important each and every one of us, regardless of, of what's going on. And, and, and to me, the fact that, uh, he loves us with our flaws, mm-hmm. not in spite of our flaws. Right. That we came here um, because there were certain things. Listen, there's a lot of reasons for me to be ashamed of myself right. um, um, <laughs> and, and what yeah. I went through. Yeah. But I know perfectly well that I learned things by going through that experience that I, I came here to learn. Um, there was no other way I was going to learn them. Um, and, and so I can't. I, I, if I had to go, people ask all the time, if you had to live your life again, would you go back and uh, and redo that stuff or, or change something? It's like, yeah, no, I wouldn't because I, yeah. I, I had to do it. Yeah, and for sure. And as painful and as hard as it was, uh, there's no other way for me to have to have learned those lessons. Yeah. And, and so I think if there's anything I could tell anybody is Heavenly Father knew you were going to make the problem, make the mistakes you, you're making right now, and yeah. it's okay. Yeah. That's why he set things up the way he did. Um, he wants you to be vulnerable about them and admit them and, and it'll be all right. Yeah. There, there's a way forward. Yeah, I like that. You know, obviously faith is a yeah. means a lot to you. It does. And I and I uh, I appreciate your uh, you're so open with it. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Why why is faith so important to you? And why do you feel like how has that helped you through this process of being recovered and, and going through that? Well, I mean, another thing the big book talks about is a belief in the higher power, right? I mean, I yeah. think I think you have to have. Um, some belief and some trust that there is something greater than yourself. I mean, it r- really, it, it all comes down to if there isn't, if there isn't a God, then what's the point? Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> Why are the, we the, here? The, the, none yeah. of this really matters, right? Yeah, right. Um, the whole, this whole conversation is irrelevant. Right. So, yeah. uh, if you if uh, if you could just accept the fact, well, yeah, there has to be something, then you admit that there's a higher power, whatever that means to you, and if you'll grasp a hold of that. Then there's a reason to be better and to and yeah. to get through this stuff. If not, then I mean, there's you're you're, you're kind of talking to a dead wall. Yeah, no, I no, I, I appreciate that. You know, um, 
as you're doing this, do you have, do you still like do something in your recovery in the sense of you're reaching out and making a difference in people's lives, even if it's a one-on-one like this? And again, I, I, I yeah, so appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I try to. I, I had a couple of interesting experiences, um, you know, because I, I'm not the kind of guy that wears this on my sleeve. Yeah. Um, because some people get it and some people don't. Yeah. And I'm willing to have the conversation with anybody that gets it. I'm not really interested in having the conversation with somebody that wants to judge me because of it. Right. Um, and gotcha. so, uh, I understand that. If so, it, it, it becomes quickly apparent who you can have a conversation with about this stuff and who you can't. Yeah. And so I've had some people that because of who they were, this subject has come up and, um, inevitably, inevitably they'll say, well, I've got a friend or I've got, you know, my son, yeah. a really good friend of mine came to me and said he, his son was struggling and would, uh, based on my experience, would I be willing to get together with him? Yeah. And so we did. And oh, nice. we, uh, we had a couple of lunch meetings and then he and I texted each other for a while and, um, he had an incredible experience and someday managed to read exactly the right thing at exactly yeah. the right time that flipped his switch and he yeah. got better. So I've had a couple of experiences like that with people nice. that I've been able to talk to and maybe help, I hope a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. No, yeah. I love that. If, if there's someone listening to your voice right now, Keith, who's in that dark place, maybe they don't even have that higher power background, you know, and they're just, they're lost. Kind of like running like you were. Yeah. You're like you were just, I'm, I'm done. What would you tell that person right now? Yeah, I think the first thing is, um, even if you can't grasp the concept of a higher power, we all care. I mean, the people around you care. Yeah. Um, and even people like me who may not know you care. Yeah. Um, because we've been there. Yeah. I mean, I, I know exactly where that dark road is that they're on. I know exactly what the circumstances are. Um, and we all care a lot. And we want to see those people come out yeah. of the other end of that tunnel. Um, and we're willing to reach out. Um, we're willing to hold a hand. We're willing to yeah. let you sit and talk. We're willing to, to comfort comfort you to to make it through it. And, it. and it's worth waking up on the other side of that tunnel. It really is. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you the number of people I know that... Um, thought that there wasn't any point to this, that now that they're sober, look back and go, you know, I'm so thankful that I yeah. just had this one other chance to see how meaningful my life could be. Yeah. Um, what addiction and, and the poison that we put in our body clouds our perspective of reality. And if you can clear your head enough to see that that's what's going on, the sun's really bright and the world is pretty great. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's perfect. I mean, there's, sure. there's yeah. still oh, stuff yeah. that goes on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. every day, right? I mean, I think we are yeah. all are dealing with stuff every day, but it's it's better on this side. No, thank you for That's great advice. I love that. How has um, your experience with addiction helped you with your current position in Provo City? Like, how has that helped you maybe look at the community differently, maybe? I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, I'm, I, well, I mean, again, I, I went into the profession I went into because I wanted to help people. Yeah. And, um, you know, being able to work in cities to make cities a better place is a really um, incredible opportunity to be able to yeah. drive through the city that you serve and see the changes that you made and the differences that you made is really important. And, and that, you know, that dumbs all the way down to the individual level too. And, right. and so I think yeah. my, my personal experience with addiction just adds a, a whole nother layer to that yeah. um, level of importance and how, you know, there, there are people all around us that need a touch or right. a handhold or, it's fascinating to me, you know, I, I've had this vision in my head of, you know, we're all sitting in church and we're waiting for someone to speak and, and he's on his way up to the pulpit and he trips and falls. 
in the aisle, right? Yeah. Um, and we're all looking around going, what, what happened? Why did he fall? What's, he fell in the aisle. Did you see that? And we're all kind of whispering to each other. And then someone said, oh, look, he didn't tie his shoe. Why, what an idiot. Why didn't he tie his <laughs> shoe? That's why he fell. Yeah. And we're all sitting around having that conversation instead of getting up. I mean, none of that matters. What matters is the guy that's willing to get up out of the out of your seat and help and the guy help up him. so yeah. he can go on up to the front of the front of the chapel. Yeah. Um, and I think so many times we're all sitting around pointing the finger at each other about yeah. why the other person fell or why they tripped or why this or why that. When none of that matters, all that's irrelevant. It's like yeah. who's going to step out of their comfort zone and give that person a hand up and just say, "Brother, I don't really care why you're why you're on your face. Uh, let's yeah. just get up. It's going to be okay." Wow. Uh, what can I do to help? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, I, I, I would hate to say I've probably been guilty of that person that would laugh maybe a little bit. And I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You amen. know, I really don't because, I mean, geez, the stuff I've been through in my life, man, I wanted people to at least have some compassion for me. And I think we all need that, especially more now in this world is compassion, right? Yeah, no, I agree. It, it's interesting because it, in one of the sessions I was sitting in in recovery, you know, I'm dealing with, I'm sitting with all these guys and some of them have been to jail and some of them have dealt yeah. drugs and some of them done this and done that. We're all supposed to be sharing our story and it's coming around to my turn and I'm just about to open my mouth and the first words out of my mouth are going to be, I'm nothing like you guys. I don't know why I'm here. You know, my I didn't <laughs> right. do drugs. I didn't go to prison right. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And before the words could come out of my mouth, something stopped me and a switch clicked in my head and I said, mm. I'm exactly yeah. like all you guys. Yeah. My story is different. My experiences are different, but we're exactly the same. And I think that translates out of recovery to just life in general. Yeah. We are all the same. Todd's having a different experience than Keith has. Yeah, and right. Mary's having a different experience than Keith and Todd are having. Right. But the story's the same. same and the story, yeah. and the need for humanity and compassion and concern have never, ever, ever in the whole existence of the world been more important than they are than it is right now. Yeah. We're so focused on finding fault with everyone around us. Yeah. When none of that none of that bullshit matters. Right. I'm sorry. It what yeah, really it matters is yeah. just um, what does that person need and how can I help and how much more patience and love can I show yeah. instead of intolerance and judgment yeah. and wrong finding and finger pointing. Yeah. You know, dude, uh, Keith, you have a really powerful way of talking. I don't know no, if you know this. I you, someone's probably told you this before, but you, you speak with, with force and it it comes across as strong, but yet compassionate. No, thank you. you. You really should be out speaking more. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot here. No, you really should because I, I think, man, your story is one of, like you said, we all have the similar story. Yeah. I mean, every it's one exactly of us, you know, story. right? And it so, yeah. but no, I really love the way you carry yourself. Uh, what is your, what does your day look like? How did, what, what does the day in, in life look like for you? Like, how do you start your day? Do you have a, a certain morning routine that you try to follow? I mean, it looks like you take really good care of yourself. You look like you're in good shape. No, thank what, you. What, like, what, what does that look like? <laughs> I'd like to take better care of myself. I really should. You know, I was doing really good with the whole exercise thing until COVID hit. And then, right. Uh, <laughs> For whatever reason, we all stopped going to the gyms. Yeah, and I've, I've, uh -huh. I've still yet to be able to find a way back into that yeah. into that zone. But I, I'm sure I will at some point. You know, I try to find I try to find a way to get up early and yeah. to kind of set my priorities for the day. Mm -hmm. um, so we we work four tens in Provo City, so I'm there usually by six thirty. We start at seven. And so I'm usually trying to get into work. I, I get up earlier than that. I get up about five o'clock and I try to kind of organize my yeah. my day in my head and get my thoughts straight and then get into work a little bit early so I can kind of get myself prepped and, and ready for the day. 
Um, we have uh, Provo City's fortunate to have uh, one of the most incredible mayors I've worked for him the whole 30 years that I've worked um, in municipal government, and I've worked, um, you know, in cities from Payson all the way up to Ogden, and I've worked with a lot of mayors. Right. Yeah. Mayor Michelle Cafusi is the yeah. the first mayor, and she's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I've heard really good things about she's, her. She's a phenomenal individual. Yeah. I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody more dedicated to our community. Um, so anyway, she, just just her vision for what our community can be is very inspiring. It's easy to get on that bus and do just about anything that they want you to do. So there's been a lot of great things happening in Provo. It's a fun place to work. I love that. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Um, one one last tough question. Okay? Yeah, please. This is, this is usually a tough one for my client yeah. or for my guests is uh, what do you love most about you? Wow. <laughs> what do I love most about me? I know it's a tough one because we don't usually look at it that no, way. No, I mean, and I, that is hard, and I'm not a very introspective person, and I don't like to think a lot about myself, mm-hmm. but um, I am, um, that I mentioned at the very beginning, kind of this concept of uh, being the catcher in the rye. And yeah. I have always wanted yeah. to be that person. Um, yeah. and, and there's another person I'll mention to you, uh, coming across the, the, as the pioneers were coming across the country, there was a gentleman whose name was John Chislett, mm-hmm. who kind of uh, wasn't a leader, um, but rose to um, some leadership roles because they needed someone um, to take care of everybody. And, and for whatever reason, whether it was God's hand in his life or whether he was just a strong individual, he was the guy that always seemed to have an extra measure of strength to help those around him. So yeah. whether he was picking people up on the trail or starting breaking camp or breaking the pathway or whatever, he was just always that guy. And if there was any way I could be that person, if, yeah. if, if my life could end and I could realize that I'd been that person, that somehow at some level, and, and the thing that I love yeah. most about John Chislett is no one knows who he is. Right. There's, not a, there's not a statue or yeah, a trophy right. or whatever. He was just yeah. a Joe. Yeah. that just did the crap that needed to get done. I'd like to be that guy. Yeah. And so, you know, wow. if there's anything I like about myself is that I have that desire and whether or not I accomplish it or not, I guess we'll find out when this whole thing is over. But it would be nice to think that somehow you were able to be that kind of person that was always there to help. Yeah. No, I'm sure you're doing a great job at it. I mean, like a, I know Christian thinks the world of you and couldn't say enough good well, things about wonderful. you. And I can just tell that you're this good guy and doing good things. And obviously... The role you play in Provo City and the example you're trying to put forth is amazing to me. No, and, thank you. And, the, and it's funny. I think a lot of times we don't know how many lives we touch just by the words we say. Yeah. And that's why I'm so yeah. grateful that you're willing to be on our show today because your words are going to touch someone's life in a way that maybe we don't hear about it. Nope. Maybe, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, you know, for what it's worth, Keith, I, I consider you now that we're sitting here as a friend and. I'd love to help you any way that well, thanks, I can. Same. Honestly, same. I mean that. Me and and uh, it's been it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure to be here. I mean, if there's one more thing I could yeah, say please. to anybody that's listening, one of the things we talk about in recovery is uh, terminal uniqueness and how damaging mm. that can be. And none of us are unique. We're, we're all in this yeah. together. And if there's anybody that's listening that uh, that thinks that their situation is unique and they're unhelpable, they're not. Yeah. And we're here to help. Um, we're wow. all around you. And yeah. give us a call. Give me a call. Yeah. I mean, just reach out. Yeah, and that was going to be my final question. But thank you. That was beautifully said. If someone wants to reach out to you, Keith, and, and just get to Please. know you better, what yeah. would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, my personal email is um, K-L-M-O-R-E-Y at yahoo.com. Okay. So right. I'd be more than happy to okay. talk to anybody that wants to. 
Okay, I love that, and I'll put that in the show notes Please. so when we go live, they can just click on that. And, Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I hope that people will reach out to you because you got too. a lot to offer. So. Well, thank you. You're awesome, Keith. It's thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Great to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe we've been talking for 50 minutes. <laughs> it, so it felt like five minutes. Yeah. And I love that because it just means it was flowing. And so thank you for all you do. Thank you. And thanks for being a light in recovery for all of us. You bet. Seriously, I love it. Well, there you go, folks. I told you this was going to be another amazing episode, and it was. And uh, I do encourage you to reach out to Keith. If you have a family member or a friend or a coworker that's struggling, and you're not quite sure how to talk to him, because a lot of times we're, I, I hear this a lot. I don't know what to even what to say. Send him the link to this episode. Let him hear Keith's story. And then, then you get a follow-up, and it's going to open them right up and say, hey, what did you think? And it will open that dialogue, and maybe you can be that person that Christian was for Keith, that Alema was for Keith, right? Where, oh, there's a little bit of hope there. You can be that person for that. So let's do that. Again, thanks to the sponsors. Thanks for all your support. And, and one last time, Keith, thanks for all you do. Thanks, Todd. You hey, bet. Okay, take care.